Good morning, everyone. My name is Melanie C. And today is Sunday, December 14th, 2014. And this is a Vision for Youth Sunday Special Edition. A warm welcome to each of you, and so glad that you joined us. The share ID for Friday, December 12th, 2014, is 7106. 7106. Today you will hear a special presentation, A Story of Transformation. The title of this presentation is Utterly Abandon Ourselves. After decades of surviving, scratching, and clawing at life, seemingly abandoned ourselves, we found the answer. We were driven by the habit of the action to survive, strive so strong, yet we secretly feared that there was no way out. So we tried all the harder, believing to the core, we will conquer this or die. Finally broken to bits, we determined that there was no way out, at least of ourselves. Many of us came crawling into the rooms of OA because we heard that there was hope and the answer to our perplexing crisis. We watched and we learned from others what the solution would be to utterly abandon ourselves. Here to unfold for you a story of transformation in just this way, our speaker will highlight these three very powerful action words, utterly abandon ourselves. It really is a rags to riches story, created anew right here in these rooms with the program of recovery. So without further ado, I would like to introduce to you today our guest speaker. She too is a student of the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous and very active in altruistic activities here at A Vision for You as well for which we are absolutely grateful. So grab a seat and sit back as Elaine B. extends to you here her personal story. Welcome, Elaine B. Thank you so much, Melanie. And thank you, everyone, for being on the line. It's a privilege to share my story here at A Vision for You. And I'm just going to open in a brief prayer uh, to my higher power, whom I will call God throughout this presentation and ask God that you would direct my words and my share so that perhaps something that I share would be of benefit and of use to the hearers. And I thank you for that. So um, utterly abandoned. (laughs) I was reflecting this morning on when I was a child and it's often been repeated to me how my grandfather always used to say, that Elaine, she needs a lot of love. And I think that he saw something in me, a need, a desire, a hunger that uh, somehow was not being met in, uh, in this life, in this, in this world, in, in my family, in school, in the different places that I was involved. And um, I know that one of my, one of my house rules <laughs> when growing up was if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. And in my prayer meditation this morning, um, I was realizing that I I definitely took those words to heart, and uh, they were a foundation for a life of people-pleasing, trying to look into everybody's eyes to figure out what they wanted me to be so that um, I could make them happy, and that would make me feel happy, which it never really did, (laughs) because I so hid myself and my real needs and my real desires and my real 
hungers and need for love. So I wasn't even connecting with people. It was this false front, this mask that I bore between myself and others in order to survive, really. And as I was reflecting in prayer this morning, I recognized the fact that I must have missed, I must have redefined that family rule, that house message of if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. And I began to live under a kind of a rule, if you can't feel anything nice, don't feel anything at all. And I, I have been meditating on my daily pursuit of feeling good my daily need to find ways that I could find ease and comfort because it's all I ever wanted to feel. And it's what I rarely did feel. I often felt disease and discomfort everywhere I went. In my relationships, in school, and family, I felt very lonely and alone. Even though I had a lot of people around me, it was always because I was picking up a mechanism. Either I was picking up uh you know, a mask that I could wear, peering into your eyes, mirroring back what I thought you wanted me to be, or I was I was picking up food, something sweet to bring some ease and comfort into my life, or I was picking up other things. I was picking up um, drugs and alcohol and inappropriate uh, connections with, with men in order to um, get that sense of ease and comfort, to find that way of sweetening up my life. And I under, utterly abandoned myself to that. I remember being 12 years old, 13 years old, lying in bed in the morning before I even got out of bed, um, trying to think about what I could get that day. I had mastered the art of stealing food, and I knew that there was going to be something sweet that I could go take spoonfuls of or handfuls of in the other room that had I had long set up so that I would have things around me to put in my mouth. And uh, yet I had the disease of more. So I was thinking, what guy could I be with? What drugs could I get that day? And it was the first meditation every single morning. How am I going to escape this life of disease and discomfort? How am I going to find something that will bring me the ease and comfort that I need to make it through one day? I utterly abandoned myself to that lifestyle. And um, you know what? (laughs) It took many, many years before I really recognized, you know, this isn't working. (laughs) This really isn't working for me. And I really needed to try something else. Although there were steps of progress along the way. Um, I do remember at one point being uh, desperate and alone, living in in Texas, and uh, somebody coming to me and and giving me uh, a message of hope about God that that was difficult for me to receive at the time. I just didn't have space for it. I had all my coping mechanisms, although I was desperate and alone and and afraid most of the time. And um, yet, Years later, I did find myself having a a big, long battle of wills with God that caused me to um, come up surrendered, come up utterly abandoned to to release some of the things that were killing me, and and that was drugs, alcohol, and pretty pretty inappropriate relationships with men, and uh, walked into the rooms of churches. And in churches, I found kind and loving people, but I also found a lot of food. 
that that was an okay way, that was the acceptable way to get the ease and comfort that I needed. And so that became my sole source of ease and comfort. Even though I did begin to build a relationship with God um, over the years, and uh, I, I actually reflect back on a friend that said to me, um, after I had gained over 100 pounds of extra weight because of my ways of trying to manage life and disease and discomfort, um, this person said to me, I wonder what you're really like underneath all that. And, you know, I didn't really know what they were talking about. I didn't know that I had so stuffed all my feelings, all of my um, all of my emotions, all of who I really was under pounds and pounds and pounds and pounds of food. Um, I hear some people talk about, you know, they pat their belly and they say, this, this is an investment. <laughs> and for me, it was an investment. It was also a buffer. It was just a buffer to life. Of course, men no longer wanted to be around me with an extra 100 pounds on my body. And, um, and I was still very lonely and still very distant um, from other people, although I still had a lot of people around me. I was climbing the corporate ladder, which brought its own levels of stress and discomfort. Um, and uh, yet, you know, I, I was fairly successful. I graduated high school early, did make it through college. And, you know, I, I was climbing the ladder. I was, you know, I was taught you work hard and you play harder. And so, um, so that's what I did. I would work, 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 work. I would deny the hunger, the growling belly. Um, when I got out of work, I would drive through one place and pack up such a huge meal. I'd be busting at the seams, but by the time I got home, I wanted to stop at the grocery store so I could go down the bakery aisle and the frozen food aisle and the candy aisle because you can't just have one. You know, because one thing doesn't necessarily do the trick. If I have this and I add a little of that, it might, maybe, but when I'm done, I always want more. I had the disease of more. So me and Ben and Jerry and Eminem would put our feet up and sit watching TV with the cat, and the tears would come. The loneliness would come. The emptiness and the despair. The not knowing how to manage my life, not knowing how to manage my food, not knowing how to manage my finances, not knowing how to manage my work, my relationships, everything that had surrounded me, I did not know. I didn't know. I was doing the best I could, and I'm telling you, I was stepping on the toes of my fellows in the workplace. I think of it now. There must have been crunching happening every day because it was really important that people liked me, that my bosses liked me. It was less important that the people who worked for me liked me because they had to be there. And so I would step on their toes, and, oh, man, there must have been so much crunching going on, especially with that extra 100 pounds on my body. And, you know, they would they would serve me, and I would put myself in a position later to be hurt, you know, by the, by the employee who thought that she could do everything, um, you know, better than me, and just all the different things. I did not know how to deal with those diseases and those discomforts, and I just was just striving, striving to keep all the plates rolling in the air, all, all the balls um, moving, and... Oh, I wandered into the rooms of OA at one point, and the one thing that I heard was no flour, no sugar. And then the rest of it was like German. Ba 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 ba. No flour, no sugar. Ba 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 ba. No flour, no sugar. Ba ba ba. I was not ready to hear any message, and uh, 
actually, I don't even remember flour. I just heard sugar. And so I put down sugar. I put down sugar for about two or three months and probably lost about 10 or 15 pounds. And I thought, oh, this is easy. I could do this. I could do this when I want to, if I want to, how I want to, but I didn't want to because I needed the sense of ease and comfort. So back out in the rooms I went, and what did I do? I utterly abandoned myself. I utterly abandoned myself to the fact that I am fat. I have a sister who's bulimic. I have another sister who is anorexic, and I was just fat. So I wore my fat not just like a shield and a buffer from life, but I wore it like a badge. I just embraced it. I said, this is it. This is who I am. This is how I am. But time and time again, going back to that couch with my feet up on the table and a cat in my lap and the TV on and the tears running down my face because I was desperately alone. It was no solution for me. And even my times in church, you know, I'd come home and I'd feel lonely. I I would get together with friends and we'd have a wonderful time and I'd have to go immediately to a 7-Eleven to pick up something so that I could make that good feeling of of being close to something um, continue. I needed to be able to manage my sense of ease, ease and comfort. I needed it to be something I could grab for and make happen instantly. I needed to be able to get out of those uncomfortable feelings that I couldn't ever identify. I very, very solidly trained my body to believe that hunger was hunger, sorrow was hunger, fear was hunger, doubt was hunger, insecurity was hunger, resentment was hunger, sorrow was hunger, joy was hunger. Everything was a reason to eat, and eating was the solution for everything. And the rut that I paved running to the refrigerator in the pantry, the rut that I paved became such an automatic default that no matter what feeling I felt, it manifested as hunger. So much so to the point where I finally did come into the rooms of um, OA, I was on automatic drip. <laughs> I had sugar in my mouth 24, every, every waking moment of the day. I would put one thing in my mouth after another, um, you know, sucking on hard candy or whatever. Oh, man, I think about the conversations of somebody with candy in their mouth and my poor people that I worked with, you know, just hearing me move that candy around in my mouth all the time. It's so sad. I remember having a Christmas party and I invited all my all the people that I knew at church and I prepared food for days. And the day of the party finally arrived. I've got food everywhere and decorations and uh One person came. I was not connecting with people. I had a lot of people in my life, but I was not connecting with people. I felt I spent so much more time building relationship with food than I did with people, but only one person came. And I could not wait for that one person to leave so that I could be alone with my food. And did I send her home with food? No. (laughs) No, I did not. That was all for me. And I had my own kind of Christmas party. And I ate for days. But it was close to the end of my time of really recognition, my dis- recognizing my despair. I remember staying with a, with a longtime friend as I went to uh, the funeral of a family that I had gotten very close with. The mom had died and, um, and stayed with this friend. And when I went to the graveside funeral, the, the person who was officiating said to me, um, you know, whenever I see you and your friend together, I wonder, why don't you just do it? 
why don't you just get married? This is a person I had met in his church 20 years before, 16 years before, something like that. And I went back and talked to him about it and talked about my loneliness and my despair. And at that point in time, he said, why don't we? Why don't we? And so um, on on Christmas Eve after after Midnight Mass, he did propose to me. And uh, and so that was an extra, extra impetus for me to put down the food. And so... Um, so I decided I was going to put down sugar and I was going to go back to OA. And on January 1st, 2004, we had a um, we had a engage, uh, engagement party and I had, you know feasted on the cake that my sister-in-law prepared. And that was the last sugar I had eaten for for quite some time. Um, and uh, in fact, I I managed to live without consuming sugar for for nine years. And um, I walked into the rooms of OA, and I heard somebody qualify. Um, I, I, at first, the first thing I thought is, what can your spiritual program? I didn't know this is going to be a, a spiritual program. What can these people talk, teach me about God? I've been going to church for a long time now. I have a good relationship with God. But I heard somebody say that um, every morning they get on their knees and they ask God for help. And every night they get on their knees and they say thank you. And I, after years, I had never heard anybody say that before. I'm like, hmm, well, maybe there is something unique here that that I can learn about in addition to the food. And so um, the first thing I heard was you needed a sponsor. And I think it was like my third meeting. Um, I heard somebody qualify. And that person had what I wanted. That's what I heard. You get to find somebody who has what you want and ask them how he or she is achieving it. And so I asked this person if they would sponsor me, and she said yes. She gave me two phone numbers. She gave me the phone number for um, for a phone meeting, and she gave me her phone number, and she said, call me tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. and tell me what you can eat for the day. Somebody else had already given me a food plan, and so um, and so I did that. So immediately phone meetings became part of my um, – part of my regular program, and uh, which was great because I was working very long hours with a long commute, and I could listen to the meetings on the, on the phone um, while I was commuting. And that was fabulous. And this person and I began a, uh, a really great relationship. Um, I had heard some things about the food plan that I was given that some people were getting sick on it. I went to a nutritionist. She made some minor changes, and that was my food plan for, for several years. And um, it, it wasn't long before the, the um, weight came off my body, much of the weight came off my body. And we had set our wedding date for six months, um, you know, after our we became engaged. And so... Um, on June 26, we uh, we got married, and I was able to instead of being in a 24 uh, size wedding gown, I was able to be in a size 18 wedding gown. I have a picture of a dear friend and I um, that when I when I give my story sharing pictures, uh, I I often show her picture. She was at my wedding shower, and she was my binge buddy. We would go all all kinds of places, and we would go out to eat, and we would get the you know, the the salad and the main course and, and always the dessert, always room for the dessert. No matter how much we had stuff, there was always room for the dessert. And that friend of mine didn't, she died a year later um, from this disease. 
and that that so makes me so sad. But it's part of my story because this is a very deadly disease, and I'm I'm very fortunate it didn't take me out. And so um, while I was in OA, uh, the phone meeting that I was given um, really focused on the tools, on the tools of recovery. And so I I learned quickly about making phone calls and you know calling my sponsor and making uh, going to meetings and doing doing lots of things. And when I talked to my sponsor every day, uh, she helped me figure out how I could manage my food when I was showing up for life. Oh, we have a we have a business meeting. What do I do? Oh, we're going to a wedding. What do I do? Even my own wedding, uh, she was able to help me plan my food in a way that I could remain abstinent at my own wedding. And I didn't feel sorry for myself. I didn't feel any of those things. I will say, however, that... Um, even though you know I had lost several sizes and a number of pounds, um, I, I felt disconnected at my wedding. I still was not connecting with people at the level that I that I really deeply desired to, and um, and that that makes me sad sometimes today. But it was the way it was. It was part of my journey, and. Um, and so I actually took that sponsor with me every day. We we took a month uh, honeymoon, and we I talked to her every single day, and committed my food and learned how to eat in this program. And you know, with other fellows in the room, I learned recipes. I learned all kinds of things. My mom moved out when I was twelve, and you know, all I ate was was candy and junk and fast food and you know, all of that stuff all my life. I never learned to eat properly. I never learned to prepare food properly. And I'm forever grateful for OA, for a place where I could go and, and do that. I, I got a lot of group support, and uh, it was it was something that I really, really needed. And you know what? I had to utterly abandon myself to that food plan. I had to utterly abandon myself to the tools and to what I was learning and, and hearing in the meeting in order to begin to make it, you know, to make a start. And um, so, so that's what I did for, for, you know, I don't know how many years it was, three, four, five years, something like that. I was, I was maintaining a goal weight and it was okay for me to add some food. And of course, I'm always talking to people about food. What are you eating? What can you eat? What, you know, what do you eat? And uh, I, I heard that there were some things that people were eating that I wanted to eat. And so I began to um, add them to my food plan. And, and, you know, sometimes my sponsor would have kind of a reaction to what I was saying. And, uh, you know, my people-pleasing nature, uh, I just decided that uh, over time it would be a lot easier instead of getting a negative response that if I just committed my popcorn as vegetables, then I could have it every day. And I would get away with something. And this disease, you know, it's they say it's out in the parking lot doing push-ups. It was always trying to find a way in. It was always trying to find the loophole. And um, and it found a loophole in that. Another loophole it found was in um, in wine, in drinking wine. I remember going to a board meeting, and uh, the the chairman of the board was a gourmet chef, and his wife was a wine connoisseur, and she would pair wines with the dinner. And I had a glass of wine on occasion here and there, and I was really looking forward to having whatever they they selected that night. Um, and I remember telling my sponsor, and and I'm like, well, this is a drink; it's not a food. But I thought I'd tell you, and it was it started a tug of war. She didn't think it was a good idea, and I did, and so I did what I thought was right. 
um, she called it taking my will back, and I didn't know what that meant at the time, but but that is what I did. And um, I remember slurring at that board meeting. How embarrassing. Oh, my gosh. By the end of the night, um, I could feel that wine, and I called my husband. He got very upset that I was doing a, a long drive after having drink, drinking. And um, it was a long time before I could accept that it was sugar in a glass. And uh, it was. The one thing I saw as soon as I came into the rooms, because I'm in an environment where there are people who have worked the steps. And uh, and up in the Framingham area, I went into a, a meeting, and I could tell a difference immediately behind, uh, between the difference of sort of the sanity and the security and the, the assurance and the... Um, well, a sense of ease and comfort that these people had um, that had done the steps the way they're laid out in the big book. So another thing that I did after I got married and moved down and got settled into my program was I began a pursuit of doing the steps. I, my husband is in recovery as well, and I was in a meeting for the, the, the loved ones of um, that particular program, and uh, we decided that we were going to do the steps because I kept saying, i got to do the steps. I can't even come here anymore if, if, you know, we're not, I need to do the steps. And so we did, and we were advised that because we were sort of codependents of people who were addicts that we should not have sponsors. We we should just do do the work together. As a group, and we did, and I, you know, I I did, I did a, a good form. I did a good four, five, six, seven, gave it all away, and um, I just did it to the best of my understanding, which was pretty limited. When I got to step nine, I'm like, this is crazy. I can't go out. I don't know what I'm doing. So I tried to find another way, and I started going to um, All Addiction Big Book Step Studies, and uh, they had some some sort of ground rules. You know, you listen to, to all 12 steps before you start doing the work, and you um, you don't say anything until you're in step nine, and you um, there was never a focus on the doctor's opinion and, and that um, it didn't seem to be required that you were abstinent when you did the work. Um, I, don't, I don't remember really talk about that at all. And so I started doing the work and, um, and I actually worked with one sponsor who actually ended up going back out. So I had to find another sponsor um, after two years of, of writing uh, said throw everything away and start over again. And so I did with some resentment and uh, wrote for about two years and that didn't work out. It just didn't work out. Um, they weren't in a way and they just, I couldn't get the time or the attention or the focus that I felt I needed. And so I started with somebody else and wrote, wrote for another two years. And um, it's just a very detailed process the way it was going. And I, and I, I really wasn't dedicated to it. And during that time, that's when I'm having, you know, popcorn and I'm having wine and I'm getting using comfort out of those things, and um, and I'm having it more and more often. You know, it got to the point where I was having popcorn every single day, and not just regular popcorn, Orville Red and Buffer sweetened, but not with sugar popcorn. And, uh, man, it was a mess. It was a mess. I was gaining 10 pounds a year the last three years. And when I finished doing the resentment part of my turnaround, which from when I started doing the big book to when I finished that part was six years, six years of work, um, I asked my sponsor, who I absolutely love. She's so patient, wonderful, and still here in, in meetings, and she's awesome. Everybody I worked with is great, but um, is they're part of my journey, you know. And so I got the instructions for the fear inventory. I knew it was going to take another year. 
I thought, I have a good relationship with God. I've learned how to manage my food. I understand these tools. I can go do this with God. I believe God has a greater freedom that he wants me to have. And I believe that that's really true. And so I went out of the rooms and, you know, first I had some rolls and then I, you know, a few, about a month later, I had a little candy and then I had some cupcakes that somebody made. And then the next thing I knew, it was my daily pursuit. And I was back again to lying lying in bed in the morning thinking about where am I going to have sugar today? What taste am I going to satisfy? What am I going to do? My husband went ballistic. He's like, you've taken another lover. You've taken, you, you're having an affair. It caused so much damage in my marriage, and I just didn't get it because I was back in the cloud. I was back in the food. I was back in the fog. I did not get it. I didn't get how painful it was for him to see me going back um, into the food. And uh, I quickly gained another 10 pounds. I decided I was going to hide things from him instead of um, facing just like I was hiding, you know, my popcorn by committing it as vegetables. Um, I was going to hide stuff. And I remember going through Valentine's Day and doing just what I used to do. I remember the candy will be on sale the day after Valentine's Day. I went and got two boxes at 50% off. thought this will last me a while. Of course, it didn't. Went back 75% off about two more. I was right back in the thick of it. I was right back in the thick of it. And I I just, I was like, wow, I was so discouraged and so disappointed thinking, oh, man, my self-knowledge isn't working. What? You know, I thought I had a good relationship with God. What? You know, the big book talks about you may be working with somebody who has even greater religious training or background than you, but you might have to say, is that working for you? You know, it was not working for me. And during that time, I just was continuing to go into meetings. And instead of getting up and sharing, I was sitting in the back row, kind of rocking and plotting, plotting. Where am I going to go? I remember being so upset when I would go to where I was going to get that special something after the meeting. And I'd see OA people in there because they couldn't see me getting it, even though I had gained 40 pounds back of the 100 and something that I had lost. Uh, yeah, they couldn't see me getting more food. They had no, they didn't know, you know. And so I decided, okay, I'll do what I've heard. I'm going to do 90 meetings in 90 days. And I started doing 90 meetings in 90 days. On the 45th day, I came into OA, and somebody gave me the phone number for a vision for you. I listened the very next day. The topic was, they call this plain insanity. And um, I listened to that meeting, and it was my story. It was my story. Um, It was plain insanity for me to think that I could manage this on my own. It was plain insanity. I had to find another way. I had to do something else. Um, And the the hope that was generated through this person who who talked about the... the, um, the steps and how they had impacted their life and how they had it had relieved them of this, uh, not just the phenomenon of craving, but the m- mental obsession. And what I recognize, it, it was nine years, nine years before I picked up sugar, that I recognized that more and more that mental obsession was growing, that someday, somehow, I could control my food and I could be like a quote-unquote normal eater. And that's what drove me out. I really believed it it was true for me. Somehow, someday, I'll do this. I'm only eating a little bit every day. I can do this. 
Um, it's it's just one thing. I can do this. It's all natural ingredients. I can do this. You know, um, I'm not eating all day long like I used to. I can do this, but I could not do it. I couldn't do it. And so I had to utterly abandon myself to the fact that I am a compulsive overeater. I am. And I I was, I remember going to a meeting. I knew they were going to be sharing on the tools, and I was recovered at that point. And I'm like, what was the difference? What was the difference? And the difference to me was the doctor's opinion. The doctor's opinion, which I had heard allergy to the body, and especially I had read those words, but I didn't understand that there were things that were alcoholic to me that were not necessarily alcoholic to other people. Just because those other people in OA who had handed me a food plan were eating other things didn't mean that I could eat what they could eat. Didn't mean that I could eat how they ate. I had to discover for myself what my own food plan was going to be. But I'll tell you what, I may not have hung in there. Um, I heard the promise and everything, but I may not have hung in there if I didn't hear somebody share in one of my very first meetings that we used to get our ease and comfort from food, and now we get our ease and comfort from God. Because ultimately, I was an ease and comfort addict. I needed a solution for the dis-ease and discomfort that I felt when I was in a house full of loved ones, when I was in a room full of friends when I was on a phone call with a close person, when I was in a board meeting, when I was in a staff meeting, when I was at church and it was in between services and there were 100 people around me chattering, I needed a way to manage my, my disease and my discomfort. And I was so thrilled to find that I could get that in God. I had tried, but I didn't know that there was wreckage between me and God. I used to say that there was a refrigerator, a 7-Eleven, and a grocery store that stood between me and God. But I didn't realize that there was all kinds of um, resentment and dishonesty and uh, self-seeking that stood in the way, and other character defects, pride, arrogance, that stood in the way between me and God. And as I came into this room and I, I utterly abandoned myself to this program, um, a miracle happened. A miracle happened to me. One of the things that I really needed to do, first of all, was utterly abandon myself to the food, to rigorous honesty with my food. No more committing popcorn as, you know, as this or that. No more saying, oh, an extra eighth of an ounce on the scale. That doesn't matter. No more um, justifying um, alcohol as as a drink instead of, you know, sugar in a glass. And um, rigorous honesty. I had to find a, a food sponsor that would allow me to give her everything that I eat. And um, that's what I have to do today. When I'm at home, I weigh and measure all of my food and I commit every bite to my sponsor. And I explain if I have to take, you know, you know whatever. I'm rigorously honest with my food and I have to be because there's no need for me to let it take up space in my in my head. I ate something on our anniversary last summer. I had one bite, and I was like zing inside. And I was, I was like, wow, this, this, I can't have any more of this. And the next day, I could just feel it all through my body. And I called my food sponsor and talked it through. And it was a combination of three ingredients that are all okay. They're all on my food plan. And um, she's like, it's okay, honey. It's on your list. You're okay. It's all right. You only have one bite. You didn't keep going with it. And you know, it's okay. But it had just triggered something in me that I I was really afraid of. 
and uh, I ended up calling my big book sponsor and talking to her about it too. And um, then I just had to let it go. I just have to utterly abandon myself to a food plan. And you know what? It was a food plan that was not of my own making. When I first called my big book sponsor and started working with her, all I wanted to talk about was the food. Help me get it in order. And she said, I'm a compulsive overeater just like you. You need to get a food plan that is not of your own making and um, probably not from another compulsive overeater. So I met with a nutritionist, and she helped me figure out a food plan that is helping me lose that um, that extra weight that I put, put on. I've lost 30 of the 40 pounds since uh, July July 11, 2013 is my, uh, my date of returning to abstinence. Thank you, God. Then I needed to utterly abandon myself to God. Now, there must have been a problem there because even though I was in, you know, doing the work, there must have been a problem there. And I needed to find a, a definition of God that I could utterly abandon myself to. And so, um, so that really took a reevaluation of who God was and what that relationship looked like for me. Um, I think of the Nestle Plunge. And I I need to be able to throw open my arms and fall back into the um, into the safety net of a God that can give me the ease and comfort that I need as I need it all the way through my program. And so that is uh, that is what that's what I needed to do. I needed to I thank God for the for the big book that says you know help put aside your pre- prejudices by coming up with a um, definition of your higher power that is. Um, different from where you are. I'm spending a lot more time on the past and, and a lot less on the on the present. But um, so I'm sorry for that. But I did come up with a definition of God that I could utterly abandon myself to, and that was the first step for me for doing the uh, steps in a way that was much more much quicker. Um, I had to utterly abandon myself to doing this work and. I did my four-step, and rather than going back through everything I could possibly think of, every person I ever met and every institution I could ever think of, my sponsor instructed me just to do the stuff that was carrying around in my head, just the stuff that I'm, I'm struggling with, because she said, don't worry about it. You'll have 10 steps after that. If, if other stuff comes up that, you know, you run into somebody from your history that all of a sudden triggers a feeling, I was able to do the, I was able to do the steps and look through everything. I was able to give it away to a loving sponsor and just, um, you know, uh, just get rid of it. And as I was getting the feedback from her, I began to see for the first time, after all those years of doing turnarounds, I didn't see my selfishness. I didn't see my dishonesty. I saw myself seeking behavior. I knew I had a whole list of ways of managing life so that I could get ease and comfort and get my way or try to get my way but I did not see my selfishness and I did not recognize the fact that I was ruled by a hundred forms of fear, that fear ruled every single thing that I did and I didn't know what to do with it. And now I really understand that, um, that I have to utterly abandon myself to God and I have to trust God. And so, you know, um, doing, Doing a daily seven-step where I ask God to remove the character defects, one of the things that's been a great gift for me, and I hear somebody often share it um, on the line, is just to accept that I am good and bad, that everybody is good and bad, that I don't have to just uh, ignore everything that's bad in the world and, and live up to that rule. If you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. Or if you can't feel anything nice, don't feel anything at all. 
after a recent family visit. Um, I was clean and clear enough to come back and just grieve over some of the things that have happened in my family, to really just spend a day looking at things that have happened in my life and just cry and just let it go. It didn't take over. I didn't need using comfort. I was finally in a safe place um, in, in the hands of a loving God where I could just breathe it and let it go. And I'm very, very grateful for that. Um, the other thing that I really need to utterly abandon myself to is, well, I just want to say in step nine, you know, I, I learned that there was a, a girl, um, my brother's age, that had um, her family owned the drugstore that I stole a lot of my candy from. And he, she said to him one day, I always got afraid when I saw your sister come in because I knew she was going to steal from us. And, you know, that hadn't shown up ever before. I had no idea. But that, I got to, I got to do the work around that, and I got to do a ninth step that was so meaningful for me and uh, brings tears to my eyes. And so um, doing that step of clearing out the wreckage of the past between me and others um, was, was really helpful, but I needed to clear out the wreckage between God and I. And with this new God of my understanding, it was safer to do that. It was safer to let go of my my resentment, you know, that I was single for so long and just all of those things. And as more things come up in my life, I'm able to do it with, with step 10. I'm so grateful for step 10. I have to utterly abandon myself to the fact that I have to work this program every day. You know, that on the other side of my first pass through the steps, that there was not the problem-free life that was like a mirage, you know, out in the desert that, you know, just kept getting farther and farther as I tried to pursue it, that I needed to, I need to utterly abandon myself every single day that when problems come up, that's what the book tells me as I read about step 10 and 11, is that every day, all throughout the day, we need to carry God's will, not mine, a God that I can trust, a God that loves me, a God that cares about me, a God that knows everything about everybody in my life. These are some of the definitions that were important for me to have to utterly abandon myself to this God. A God that was interested in my, in, in, in things, you know, going okay for me. Am I getting used in comfort? That I'm not a bad girl, that I need that. That, um, I'm not a bad girl if I ha- don't have the answer. I'm not a bad girl if I can if I have to say I'll get back to you or I just don't know. And so, um, so I utterly abandon myself every day that you know as stuff comes up and I remind myself every day if I to be watching for selfishness, dishonesty, fear, and resentment, and to to uh, process it with somebody. You know, to ask God to remove it, process it with somebody to um, make amends if I've, if I've harmed anybody, but also to turn my attention to someone I can help. And that's something else that I have to utterly abandon myself to, is working with others. I cannot, I cannot keep this program if I'm not doing 10, 11, and 12 every day. And I actually, I do 1, 2, and 3 every day. I still get on my knees first thing in the morning. And just admit my powerless, not just over food. My life is unmanageable, every aspect of my life. And, um, you know, but I have come to believe that a power greater than myself, that I had to redefine, that I have to remind myself of who he is so that I can utterly abandon myself to him. And then to do that, to, to turn my will and my life over to that, 
to that higher power's care uh, one day at a time. And then I notice that if I um, if I'm feeling squirrely, if I'm feeling um, kind of off and and not great, the um, and I and I you know am doing my work with God and still just not not feeling okay. Um, it has been a, a utter surprise to me that the one thing that brings me the same kind of joy that a burst of sweetness in my mouth used to bring is working with others. And I also find that if I sort of, I guess for me it's the feeling like if you haven't had a shower for a few days, there's one thing I heard that, you know, if, if, you're, if, you, um, if you miss one day with God, God knows it. If you miss two days with God, you know it. If you miss three days with God, everybody knows it. I love that. There's another joke, too, that comes to mind, which is, um, what's the difference between me and God? God never thinks he's me. And so I've had to put down my managing life and managing others' lives and, and utterly abandon myself to a will that I don't know. I don't know the future. When I wake up in the morning, I don't know what is going to be that day. But one thing I've discovered is that if I don't utterly abandon myself to, you know, trying to seek that God's will in my 11th step, and even in the 10th step where it says all throughout the day, um, we, we pause and we ask for what the next step will be. And the Bible promises us that it's going to be problems every day. It says that God will, um, that God will give us what we need to take care of such problems. <laughs> so that problem-free life is elusive uh, for me. Yet now I have a new employer um, that will give me everything that I need if I stay close to him and, and perform his work well. And the important part of that work is that I'm working with others every day. And so I have noticed in myself, just because I don't take a shower, oh, my gosh, if I didn't brush my teeth, if I, uh, you know, if I don't work with others, that, you know, after one day, God knows it. After two days, I know it. After three days, everybody knows it. I need to get in the rooms and working with fellows. And one of the promises of the, uh, of the big book is that that becomes uh, the bright spot of our day. And it is absolutely true for me. And every time I work with somebody or even take a 10-step call, it's my practice to, um, you know, invite God in because I don't know the answers. You know, I'm very limited I, I have very limited knowledge and resource, but if I tap into a power greater than myself, the, the symbol of resource that I bring can be matched with an ocean of wisdom and provision and guidance that might somehow trickle through my little symbol to help somebody else today. And I'm just so grateful that the symbolfuls of comfort and ease that I was able to get um, through something in a bag or a box or, or, uh, or even in a man or a glass, um, you know, those things will never meet my needs. They will never guide me and direct me in a way that will make me of maximum use to God and to others, which is, you know, my primary purpose to carry this message of recovery. And um, but when I lean into my God, when I ask for help, um, it is never far. And I'm often amazed at the ways that God is able to um, direct my steps and 
though I don't have a problem-free life, though now I don't feel hunger when I feel anger, I feel anger. When I don't feel hunger when I feel sorrow or grief. Um, I get to feel those feelings today, and I don't have to run away from them. I don't have to hide them. I can trust that, uh, you know, between the rooms and God, that I'll be able to get through it, that I'm not going to be in a dark place I'll stay in forever. <laughs> and I still feel like, you know, I, I finished this work over a year ago. I've been abstinent for a year and a half or so, and um, I know that I've just come into the threshold. I'm so thrilled that I was not have to teach on the big book because I'm just a student and feel so honored to listen to A Vision for You and all these people who have years of recovery and experience studying this book that has changed my life and to be there with, with lots of people who are dedicated to the same thing is a, a great privilege and honor. But um, I can tell my story and uh, with God's help, I hope it's touched some of you and with that I pass. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Elaine. The, this walk through your personal life that transferred so much experience, strength, and hope has given us so much of yourself today. Thank you very much for that. And just a quick word to our audience. You may be wondering about how to contact Elaine B., and we will give out Elaine's information at the end of the meeting, just right after closing. So please stay with us for that. Elaine, there may very well be um, some fellows wishing to ask you some questions this morning. And if you are available, I would like to open up the next 20 or 30 minutes, if you have that kind of time, to our audience to do just that. Yes, I do. That would be my privilege. Thank you, Melanie. Thank you. Who would like to ask Elaine a question about her presentation this morning? Press star one, please. Hi, my name is Dawn D. I need to ask you a question. Good morning, Dawn. Please go ahead with your question. Uh, I just want to, um, I, I, first I want to say um, thank you for your service. And um, I, my heart goes out to your friend. I said that I, you said that she had passed. And um, I was wondering, and I hear that a lot in the, um, OA meetings is why what kinds of things that you die of when you know uh, you're eating I mean when you overeat you know and also hear that you can die uh, a knife and a fork a knife and a fork can kill you and I was just wondering what kinds of things you know you can die of when you overeat thank you Thank you, Dante, for your question. It's a good question. Um, one thing comes to mind that I've heard somebody share um, in my in my face-to-face -face home meeting um, here in Massachusetts. What she says, and I can so relate to, was that you know, her she knew her only way out uh, was either you know insanity or death, and she she despaired of her own life and thought of taking her life. And she said she didn't really want her life to end. She wanted the pain to stop. But there are some people who who do take their own lives. And I've heard that compulsive overeating is a slow form of suicide. 
In terms of other ways that we can die from compulsive overeating, um, I know of a man that I, I, I so admire in, my, in the rooms who was told by two doctors within two hours of each other that, um, that they didn't want to treat him because he was going to die a very, very painful death because of high blood pressure. For me, after my just 10 months in the rooms, um, I had put down the sugar, and it was three months later, and my doctor said, wow, your long-term, your, your current sugar level is fine, but, but your long-term one says that you're almost borderline diabetes, and I probably would have been registered diabetes if I took that test any earlier. I know that's a common way, but there are many, many ways that people can die, and if you have specific questions, you may want to consult, um, consult your doctor about it, about, you know, what are the things I need to be concerned about. But the biggest promise I want to give you is that you don't need to eat that way. My sponsor always told me, if you get a food plan and you stick to your food plan and you do these steps the way that they're laid out in the big book, you never have to eat compulsively again. And for me, my experience is that there's a neutrality around the food. If I notice the food lining up, to me that's an indication that I have a need. There's something going on to me that's registering as hunger, that's registering as a desire for ease and comfort through food. So I have a very significant real need, and I need to get with God or get with a fellow and process. Is there something going on? Do I have a resentment that I want to eat over or a fear? So um, thanks for your question. I hope I answered it all right, and with that, I pass. Thank you, Don D. Hi, my name is well, Charles. I've got a question. Hi, good morning, Charles. Go ahead with your question. Good morning, Melanie. My name is Charles, a recovered visionary just for today. Um, I don't believe you covered this, but uh, I'm just going to throw it out here anyway. What's What's your suggestion um, if you have a sponsee that um, that has finished up? Step three, however, is not letting let let go of the fear. Um, I I I suggested that that sponsee go over page sixty three and sixty four, um, read page twenty four, um, in the top of twenty five, in the um, OA twelve and twelve as well. Um, what what's your insight and what's your suggestion if you have a sponsee? I know the ultimate answer, but you know, if you're trying to, if you're trying with this person, but this person won't let go of the fear, what's your suggestion? Um, if you could shed some light on that, I'd appreciate that. Thank you. Quick question, uh, Charles. Thank you for your question. Is that do you mean a fear of a higher power or? No, just fear. Just fear. Okay. Um, thank you so much. Uh, that's a really good question, and um, you know, fear is a very common manifestation for addicts. In fact, uh, the Big Book talks about that our life is riddled through with a hundred forms of fear, and they cause us to make decisions that, in the end, cause us harm. And um, and that certainly is my circumstance. I see so many places that my decisions based on fear cause me harm. Charles, my understanding is that um, when we begin to <clears throat> do step three and uh, to the best of our ability, we, we're at the very beginning of uh, starting a relationship with a power greater than ourselves to see us through, that we, we immediately need to get into the step work. And um, when we get through the resentments 
um, then we have an opportunity to look at our fears. And one of the things that, um, you know, I, I feel is important is that we even include God on our inventory, that if we have any resentments or fears about God or anything else, that that's the time and the place that we have an opportunity to address those. So if you have somebody who's in step three, what has been pointed out to me is that um, the big book talks about immediately and right away. <laughs> I think those are the words it uses between step three and um, and step four, trying to open the book. But, um, you know, what it was what it was brought out to me is, you know, how quick is that? How quick is immediately? And so one of the things that um, is different for me in the way that I did the steps with my sponsor that I met through A Vision for You, and there are many, many different ways of working the steps, and, and you know, whatever works for you is great. Um, but the way, that I, the way that I did it was to move through the steps very quickly. For me, that was very important. It took me about three, three to four months. Um, after taking step three, the big book says, next, we launched out on a course of vigorous action, the first step of which is to take a personal house cleaning, um, which many of us had never attempted. Though our decision is a vital and crucial step, it could have little permanent effect unless at once, at once, followed by a strenuous effort to face and be rid of things in ourselves which have been blocking us. Um, our liquor was only a symptom, so we had to get down to causes and conditions. And I think that um, in that step four, that's where if immediately at once we launch out into that course that we'll be able to identify and um, look at fear in an entirely different way. I hope that helps. And I pass. Thank you, Charles H. Who's this next? Is Amy. Question. This is Janice Amy. I heard, I heard Amy G. And then who else? Janice B. Janice B. Anybody else? Kathy K., please. Kathy K. Let's go with those three for Elaine right now. Good morning, Amy G. What's your question for Kat, for um, Elaine? Yes, great. Mel, thank you so much. And thank you, Elaine, so much. It's such a joy to be able to hear people live on Sunday. It's awesome. Thank you so much for your share. Uh, first, just wanted to comment. I mean, what a beautiful uh, testimony or showing of what happens when we just work the tools of the program and what happens when we just work the steps without the tools of the program and then what happens when the two come together and the beauty and the transformation that occur, occurs and that, and that was reflected in your story. And I just, I guess my question is, or maybe if you could reiterate or elaborate, you know, when those two things came together and it finally, it finally clicked for you, understanding then the idea of the uh, physical allergy and the mental obsession, how that came together for you. Because in my humble opinion, I know that there's, there's a struggle for those that slip and slide throughout, wondering, you know, hey, I've worked the steps, but I've slipped, or the, the mental obsession is still alive and well because maybe some tools aren't being worked. And it showed in your, in your testimony of how the two came together, that there is a balance between the two. And I was just wondering if maybe you could elaborate or give some, um, you know, some, some more details on how that came together for you. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Amy T. I appreciate that question. Um, yes, it's so amazing to me. You know, the big book talks about that the purpose of the book is to guide us to a higher power that will uh, bring about uh, 
uh, personality change that's sufficient to bring about recovery. Um, to that when our spiritual malady is addressed, that we clear up physically and mentally. And I'm so, so grateful for that. And, you know, um, for me, it was just plow through the steps, plow through the steps. I wasn't even looking for results. I'm just plow through the steps. Do what you have to do. Do it, do it, do it, do it quickly. Because that six-year track, you know, I, I just I wanted to get through it quickly. But I also wanted to do it thoroughly. Um, the book talks about fearlessly and thoroughly. So I really wanted to get everything that was going on with me out down on paper. I'm trusting that if I missed anything with 10 or 11, I would pick it up. And we never know when those spiritual awakenings are going to happen. I had two significant ones, as my sponsor said back to me, um, you know, that that just to see my selfishness and how I was running my life. Oh, my gosh. You know, it was months after that. Um, I actually had to withdraw from my face-to-face meetings because one of the things I did during those six years was I began to wander into, well, this phone meeting is doing steps that way and this is doing this one and I'm going to call this person and I'm going to see what they're doing and I'm going to add this and I'm going to do that. I needed to withdraw from everything and just do the steps the way they're laid out in the book quickly with a sponsor, completely abstinent. And I was willing to do my food plan. Of course, I had a wedding dress that I was going to be, you know, fitting for in a matter of months, which helped inspire my willingness to be dedicated to my food plan when I first got it. I came in with my nutritionist food plan, which I love. It's the best. It was so great. Um, And so I was willing to do that, but it really was months later that I was driving to an OA meeting. I finally was coming back in the rooms. At first, that was a little bit of a challenge for me because it was very different. <clears throat> and I wanted to come in and, you know, some, <laughs> you know, because uh, there are a lot of people who are working the steps that are still overweight because I, I don't think there's that focus on the doctor's opinion. And that's when I uh, was thinking about sharing on the tool and sharing the doctor's opinion. And I just had a, the dawning awakening that those two had married together and that was the difference for me. The other thing was moving through the steps more quickly than I had in the past. There's no right or wrong way to do this. You have to, you know, I'm grateful for every step that I took. But that's that's when it dawned on me. And what I find is that there are so many times I, like, turn back and say, who was that person? Who was that person that showed up um, in in this way? You know, I had one major big fear. I am not rid of fears, but I know what to do with them now. And God has brought me into this whole new place in my workplace. And I and I had to step out in my workplace. And, and the fear, I stood in my living room and cried like a baby, cried and cried and cried because I didn't want to do it. I was afraid. And yet I, I just, you know, um, did a fear turnaround and I went out and I showed up. And by the end of that day, I was so happy and so rejoiceful at where my higher power was able to bring me because I've done this work, because I'm, I'm taking hold of the hand that um, won't let go. And the thing is, is that utter abandonment, you know, my food plan is not of my own making. My decisions around my food are not mine. They're not mine. I had something that was coming to mind the other day. You know, I've been losing weight every month. I gained two pounds last month. What am I doing? What am I thinking about? And to open Pandora's Pandora's box. And uh, I had a call. Um, you know, I had to call people and talk about what am I doing? You know, what am I doing here? I had to get my head out of the food again. It's a food plan, not of my own making, that I have to utterly abandon to God. And um, so I hope that answers your question. <laughs> I'll pass with that. Thank you, Amy G. Janice B., it's time for your question. 
Hello, this is Janice B. in Vermont, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. And thank you, Elaine, for sharing your story. You said at one point in that in your process that you were abstinent and, and that you didn't feel connected or the connection with other people. And that's something that is huge in my life. And um, I'm wondering now um, if you feel more connected to others and um, and if so, how did it happen? What was the process? And with that, I pass. Thank you. That's a great question, too. You know, that more than anything has been the thing where I turn around and I say, who was that person that, that just showed up um, to be able to uh, just just really feel a deep connection? And you know what? When I don't feel it, I know what I can do. Um, there are some there are some just truths about my life that I had began to stuff down and not allow myself to feel from a very young age, and so I I feel as though I've just come through the door. I'm just I've just stepped across the threshold thanks to um, these book this book and uh, and working this program and and my loving higher power. Um, so there are a lot of times I just turn around and say, wow, you know, who, who was that person who, who, was, who was at that party, at that work event, who was able to show up that way, who's beginning to do these new business connections. Um, but I will say that the safety net that I feel, you know, I really want my family to be, I, I was telling my husband, I, I, I miss my family, but not the family I have. It's the family that I want. You know, I want my family to be the Waltons. I want them to be different than they are. And the power of um, acceptance and the serenity prayer and the chapter on acceptance and working the steps when I get a resentment and all of those things are helping me to um, to show up in, in different ways. But there's still a lot of grieving and, and truth that I need to face that I've never allowed myself to face. So that's a place where um, where at times I feel a deep connection and when I don't, I, I kick into service. What can I bring to this? What questions can I ask? Can I get someone some coffee? Last night I had a big, big Christmas party. I'm also uncomfortable in crowds and my husband's family is very big and we had a big, big Christmas party yesterday. And um, I dedicated myself to serving others. You know, I'm the one who cut the cake. Did I want the cake? Not at all. I might as well have been, you know, portioning out rocks or something like that. Completely neutral to the food. I actually didn't eat anything that was put out. Um, I, I, I made it something and I checked an ingredient on a can of something that I, I bought before. And, um, but I got a different kind. I got a generic brand and it had sugar in it. And I was like, okay, well, I can't eat that food. What can I eat? I brought my own food. I ate it at my own time. It's just completely neutral. The food had nothing to do with the evening. And um, so all I can say is that it's a surprise. I don't know how it happens. It's a miracle. But if you do this work and you continue to do this work and you keep from running to, to the food to get your ease and comfort or as a buffer zone from people, um, my experience, my personal experience is that all that stuff goes away and it's a process, it's a journey. Just like as we grow in relationship with, uh, with a higher power, we grow in relationship with others. And, um, and I hope that answers your question. Thank you for it. Thank you, Janice B. Excuse me. Um, Kathy K. Thank you, Melanie, for your service. Uh, thanks, Elaine. It was wonderful to hear you today. And um, 
you know, your um, relationship with God is something that uh, I really admire, and I know how you work at it. Um, and and today I learned more about how it developed over time. And I'm wondering what you do with sponsees, if you've had this experience, who are quite agnostic when they start working on the steps and how you help them develop that relationship. Thank you, Kathy. Um, you know, I love the word agnostic, which I learned here um, means, you know, that it is sort of like you believe in God, but you you don't know, you know, you don't know. I, so I had, I, I continue to have areas in my life that I discovered that I don't know that there is a power greater than myself. And uh, I, I really like, at one point, I was really crushing on this guy, and I, I really was doing everything I could to get him in my life because I thought he would be my solution. You know, if, if only he liked me, everything would be okay. And um, and I, I got a sense, an intuitive thought uh, during that process, uh, before I was married, um, that, uh, that everything that that man could offer me was a symbol compared to the ocean of love and provision that God had for me. And so um, I often recognize my own... Um, inadequacy in many different areas and but if i if i if i have access to a power greater than myself that throughout the book it promises that this this power can do for us what we cannot do for ourselves that this power will give us an intuitive thought that this power um i love somebody shares you know go to the ocean and try to stop a wave that this power can, you know, can keep the waves at the shore, keep the stars in the sky and hold me together without, blow, you know, blowing apart. That, um, you know, those are the things that I need to do daily to remind myself. In fact, I read every single day the fact that, you know, I'm, I'm in this world to do as God wills. I have a new employer. It's not me. It's not even my boss. I have a lot of fear around work. But my, my employer is a loving higher power that will give me everything that I need if I stay close to him and perform this work well. And so what I try to do is we can't tell anybody who their higher power is. That's really, it's not our place. But I encourage people to define who their higher power is, to write out a description of their higher power. And for me, I often have to remind myself regularly, who is this higher power? When I'm feeling... Um, you know, fear, doubt, and insecurity. I do the steps. If I'm still feeling it, I remind myself of who God is, and that helps me remember who I am. I was never meant to take on the world, solve every problem, know everything about everybody. I thought I was. I thought I had to have all the answers. I thought all of those things. You know, the difference between me and God is that God never thought he was me. <laughs> so um, I do encourage a sponsee to to work on that, to really think about what type of God, what type of higher power can you utterly abandon yourself to? And again, it's just the beginning. It's, you know, we come to believe that uh, this higher power will restore us to sanity. What does that need to look like for you? Write it down. Write a description. Carry it around. Read it. Remind yourself of who this is every day that you're turning your will and your life over to, that you are, um, you've made a decision that is going to help you with your food. Just, just remind yourself of who that higher power is. And um, that's, a, that's a tool that I've used. I also have personal stories that I'm happy to share with anybody that have been very meaningful to me. Some people have, 
have liked them as well out of my personal experience um, that, uh, that I, you know, encourage people to borrow. Another thing that I've heard in the rooms is act as if, if you don't feel it yet, act as if it's true. And gradually, um, those things, as we experience them, they begin to become our experience, and that helps build our faith as well. I hope that answers your question. With that, I pass. Thank you, Kathy Kate. Does anyone else have a question um, of Elaine today about her presentation? I have a question. Has, My name is Lisa. Did you say Lisa? Yes, it's Lisa. What's the first initial of your last name, Lisa? Lisa M. M. M like Mary. Thank you. Yes, go ahead with your question. Yes, hi. Um, Thank you for your share. It was really good to hear everything that you um, talked about. But my question is around the fourth step. Um, You said you talked about when you first were um, coming around, you, you were working on your fourth step, and it took like a year or two years. And, and, you know, I kind of get why it would take that long. But then, you know, lately I've heard, oh, it shouldn't take that long. It can only take, you know, you should be through the steps in, you know, a few months. And I can't quite understand how you would get through a fourth step that quickly. So could you kind of explain a little more how you got through the steps so quickly? Thanks. Thank you so much. So, again, there are many ways to do the book, and um, there are some forms that I use, and there's some good information on a website. It's an outside issue, so I won't mention what it is, but it did talk about, you know, there's many ways to do the steps, and if the way that you've tried isn't working for you, try this one. And so um, I didn't specifically use that. Um, I used some of the information on the site, but um, I was directed to and uh, by my sponsor. Um, and so I, I, I went through the steps in a way that many people that I know have done, and they're recovered, and they look great, and they, and they sound great, and they're sane, and they're awesome. And uh, they, were using, they were using this process, and many people in those rooms got through it quicker than I did. Others took a long time. But basically, for me, I think it's my own character defects that caused it to take so long because I wanted to be perfect. I wanted to be the A1 star person who did the best uh, four step that ever existed and um, and follow instructions explicitly and got all kinds of input from all kinds of people on how to do it just right. And I searched fearlessly and thoroughly through my past and I put down the name of probably every single person that I could remember, every institution I could think of. And, um, and then I had lots and lots of reasons why I resented them. Um, and I really was digging things up. I was just digging it up. I had well over 500 people, places, and things. I had pages and pages, sometimes, you know, five pages of resentments towards a person, um, you know, slowly turning that around one resentment at a time. And um, it just took a really long time. And, of course, because it was taking a long time, I was dragging my feet out on it at times. I would put it down for three months and then pick it up. And... Um, so that's why it took a really long time. When I worked with the sponsor that I work with on A Vision for You, I started working with her, I think, the beginning of July, and I finished making um, – uh, I had some fulfillment on amends in addition to a living amends, living amends, which there are many that I continue to do today. But um, I had I had – one follow-up, but I, but I completed my amends, my face-to-face amends um, in October. 
I think it was Columbus Day weekend uh, of 2013. And so I don't know, was that four months maybe that it took? And the main thing is, is that my sponsor instructed me, put down the stuff that's taking up space in your head and your heart. Put down those things that are blocking you from others and God. Don't go back and try to remember, you know, your your kindergarten teacher and that she didn't give you as many snacks as the kid next to her or, you know, stuff like that. She said, and and I would be afraid. I'd be afraid I was going to miss something if I wasn't being fearless and thorough. And she said, you always have to send steps. And I have had instances of stuff that did not show up on my fourth step that have showed up after that I had the opportunity to process because this is a lifelong process. With my first perspective, I really thought if I do this fearlessly and thorough, I'll have a problem-free life. But I hadn't peered into steps 10 and 11 where I realized I had continued to do this every day for a lifetime. I had utterly abandoned myself to this program. So it takes us all what it takes. But if we do the steps to the best of our ability with the direction of a, a, a big book guide and a higher power, we will get the promises. And there's promises in just about every step. And so... I hope that every listener has an opportunity to experience those promises in their life, um, not just now, but, but forever, because we get to grow. We get to continue to grow. Thank you so much. Thank you, Lisa M. This is Jean. Hi, Jean. Good Hi. morning. What's the first initial of your last name? J, oh, J-E-A-N-N-E-M? No, wait a minute. Yeah, Rand. <laughs> <laughs> Would you say that one one more time, please? I, I didn't catch up. Jean M. M. Like Mary. Okay, thank you. Go ahead with your question. Thanks so much. I have um, first a, uh, a couple um, a comment and then a question because of you're talking about this leading to death. I um. It sounds like I'm a lot older than you, and I've been abstinent a lot of years, but I can remember I didn't get into this program till I was 50. So I remember somebody, a doctor, saying to me, you're using your fork to dig your own grave. And that did not stop me. So... Um, and uh, so it's like, and thank you, God, that I finally stopped, okay? And, you know, how I got there is like, this is your story, it's not mine. But the thing that you said that hit me, because I've said it for years, that using your fat was like a buffer. And this is how I thought. I thought, because of promiscuity and all that stuff, that... There was a good gene and a bad gene, and the good gene was thin, and the bad gene was fat. No, the opposite. Sorry. The good gene was fat. The bad gene was thin. So when I first got abstinent, I thought, oh, my God, what's going to happen to me? And uh, what happened to me um, was, like you said, God. So um, I'd like you to elaborate a little bit more on, um, on how you felt about that. Well, thank you so much for for your comment. And, you know, um, I will say that this is a deadly disease and um, I don't have any numbers or statistics, but, you know, I've heard that, um, you know, obesity is a leading cause of death in this nation. Not the leading, but a leading. 
And um, I think more than alcohol or drugs, um, I'm not positive on those facts, but I know it's a real issue for us. And uh, it, it makes me very, very sad when I go into like a convenience store or a gas station and I see that there's probably, you know, 1% of the products that they sell that, um, that are actually healthy for you and anything else is, is, is really not. It was deadly for me. I remember I could not go into a convenience store, buy gas or grocery store or anything without buying a candy bar. I just could not do it. So, um, but yes, that did become a buffer zone for me. And um, basically I will say that I had a, you know, the thing that I grieved the other day was that uh, was that I went back to the area that I lived. Somebody wanted to see where, you know, the what it looked like where, you know, wanted to go back and revisit where we had lived. And, and as I, you know, left that place and was coming home and was in the safety of, <laughs> of aloneness and the presence of God, I, I was able to recall a number of times that, you know, I had experience in sexual abuse and, um, and uh, and it was after one one experience that I had, not in that area, another another experience. I just set myself up for that with my people pleasing and 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 everything. Um, that there was a, a very public sexual abuse experience, and after that, I began gaining weight because um, I didn't want to be attractive to people then. And uh, and then after that, I didn't really have a choice when I back when you know, when I gave up a pretty promiscuous lifestyle. I didn't really have a choice. I had to have the food. I had to have a sense of ease and comfort that I could control. And um, and for whatever reasons, how I how I was living out my faith, that wasn't doing it for me until um, until I came to these rooms. And now I'm able to easily access a sense of ease and comfort with God. And if I'm not able to easily access it, then I need to sit down and see what's blocking me. And I have a 10 step that, I, that I'm going to need to do. I hope that answers your question with that I passed. Thank you, Jean M. Anyone else with a question this morning for Elaine? Sandy K. Anna H. Did you say Sandy K and then Anna H? Cindy K. Cindy K. Good morning, Cindy K. And then after you will be Anna H. Hi. Thank you, Elaine, for your service. Um, my question is, you spoke of um, entire absence, working the steps through that. Um, I'm wondering, how do you deal with the sponsee who is reluctant to or refuses to give up certain ingredients that they have identified themselves? Um, how, how do you handle that? They're just like me. <laughs> I was so delighted when somebody gave me a, a, a number of a vision for you. And when I came on, the, uh, my first sponsor, who who you know came with me on my honeymoon and everything, was she was on the line. I was so delighted, and um, and also there was somebody that I had called in the midst of my battle of wills over wine, who was on the line. And what she told me is that's just sugar in a glass. And I ended that conversation quickly because she was saying something I didn't want to hear. Um, I didn't want to hear it because I wasn't ready to hear it. And so um, for me, I needed to go out and do a little bit more research and development. And if there's somebody who has identified something as an alcoholic food to them, something that sets up a phenomenon of craving, 
something that, for me, I use the red light, yellow light, green light uh, program where what definitely is a binge food and um, what definitely is a binge eating behavior or ingredient and um, that my sponsee needs to be committed to stay away from those during the time that we work together. And then I have the yellow light, um, which is what are the things you're not so sure about, that you need to be in the safety of a clear mind, sound mind, uh, uh, healthy food plan to and working the steps through the steps, you know, working steps 10, 11, and 12 in order to begin to even consider experimenting them. And usually by the time they've done that, they, they don't want to go near their yellow light foods. Um, but if they're still picking up red light foods, um, I, I wish I could say it's been my experience that that's never happened or behaviors. I wish I could say that that's never happened, but that has happened for me quite a bit. And um, those people, I, I just feel like they're not ready. They need the food to con- convince them. I can't convince them. You know, I've heard the saying, this is not a program for people who need it. It's not a program for people who want it. It's a program for people who work it. There are many people, uh, there are, you know, ways of working the steps out there where they, they believe that if you are eating while you do the process, you know, you will eventually give up the food. Um, but for me, I go back to the alcoholic or the drug addict. You know, if I'm just smoking pot instead of shooting heroin, will that work for me? If I'm just drinking beer instead of um, drinking whiskey, will that work for me? To me, if I'm just eating, you know, a bag of M&Ms, will that work for me? For me, what happens is I get cloudy. I saw the difference when my mind, when the cloud lifted, the fog lifted, was so clear to me that three months after I put down flour and sugar that every cell in my body woke up. And so I definitely have a clarity and an ability to receive this message that only came when I was abstinent from foods that were setting up a phenomenon of craving, bringing the ease and comfort that, um, that, that only came with that. And so for me, a sponsee just isn't ready. And so I may direct them back to listening to meetings about steps one, two, and three. I may have them do readings. Recently, somebody shared some writing for a sponsee that that um, has happened with gone back into the food. Um, but really, everybody has a journey. You know, I worked with three sponsors before I came to A Vision for You and achieved what I've achieved today, which with God's help, I'll be able to do. But I'm just, you know, I'm just like everybody else. If I have 25 years of recovery, sanity, work in the steps, I'm just as susceptible to that um, next next bite if I don't do a diligent food plan in the steps every day. That's what I need to do in order to maintain this. So I hope that answers your question, and with that, I pass. Thank you, Cindy Kay. Anna H., your question, please. Hi, good morning. Um, I just thank you so much for your qualification this morning and for being on the line. Um, I just had a question. Mine's pretty simple. Um, you said something, and I loved it, and I just didn't quite get it. Um, it I, didn't, I got it, but I didn't get it. I wanted to write it down. You said something about, and you said that, um, about working with others, and you also said it about being with God, and you said something about one day without God, God knows it, the second day you know it, and the third day. Anyway, I was wondering if you would repeat both of those things. Thank you so much. Um, 
Yeah, I can't take any credit for that. I heard it in the rooms. There's something else I, I heard in the rooms that has always helped me. I'm going to share three things. First of all, um, this this person in my face-to-face meeting who I really admire often says, you know, um, uh, that when he began working with a big book sponsor, they had them write the, he, he She said, write down all your binge food. So he did, and he gave it to her. And she said, that was isn't for me. That's for you. That's not your food. Another thing he always says is if you have a resentment that his sponsor told him, if you have a resentment, you may not eat over it today and you may not eat over it tomorrow, but you will eat over it. And um, mm-hmm. for me, that's true of fear and selfishness and dishonesty as well. Um, but the the thing that I had said was, uh, yes, you, the first two, you had exactly right. Uh, one day without God, God knows it. Two days without God, you know it three days without God, and everybody knows it. (laughs) Thanks for your question. Thank you, Anna H. We could probably take one more question if you have the time to kind of round out the hour. Elaine, would that work for you? Sure, that's fine. Okay. Anyone else would like to finish us out with one more question today? Maybe it worked out for itself. Thank you so much, everyone, and and um, appreciate all the questions and the answers today. Could I ask a quick question? Sure. Yes, who is this? My name is Victoria. My last initial is an L. Good morning, Victoria L. Please go ahead with your question, and then we'll finish yes, with it'll you. Be, Thank you. Yeah, it'll be very brief. Um, I, I looked up this meeting online, and it said it was 6.30 Pacific time, and it sounds like it, it is not. And I'm really uh, sorry that I did not get to hear Elaine uh, share as it sounds like it was very powerful. I did learn a lot from the questions that you did answer, and I so appreciate that. But could you please just confirm with me in Pacific time what time this meeting is? I can. This is Melanie. I can do that for you. I've had that experience myself when I've gone to the OA website and looked up a meeting and they give me a time. And the interesting thing is that they have a default time of central time. I have to purposefully select the time zone that I'm in in that particular box in order for it for the meeting to show the time it is in my time zone area. And I was stung by that many, many times. And if you want to talk more about that, or I can lead you through that, let's talk afterwards and you can give me your phone number. But I have been stung by that very same thing, and I'm sorry for that. But this meeting is recorded, and as soon as the recording has been off and we do the closing, I'll give the information and the telephone number of how you can listen to the recorded meeting in, in, in its entirety, including questions and answering. Okay, Thank great. you so much, Victoria. You're welcome. Thank, Thank you. Yep. You betcha. You betcha. So that brings our meeting to a close today. And we will close this meeting like we always close our Sunday special edition meeting by reading page 164 of the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order, but obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right. Great events will come to pass for you and countless others. 
This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you tread the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then.